read this, can we even define motherhood? And one man did. I quoted it on Facebook. And here's the quote. It says, by definition, motherhood is that dignified and strenuous life vocation taken up by a woman who has resolved to give herself fully to the task of nurturing godly children from a godly home environment. Women who dedicate the best years of their lives to this challenging endeavor are not to be laughed at and pitied, but highly esteemed. I pray that as a church, we will swim upstream against the culture and we will indeed be a church that honors the office and calling of motherhood. So for you that are moms this morning, can I ask you a question? And I want you to be honest, and maybe if you're here, I want you to think about your mom and how your mom might answer this question. Do you ever feel as if motherhood has turned your brain to mush? <laughs> Some of your smiles tell telling tales. Have you ever felt that motherhood has caused your IQ to plummet to a baby Einstein level? That your short and long-term memory have been permanently short-circuited? I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more confused my mother gets about my name. And she only has one child. But more often than not, she does not call me by my right name. Have you felt that your powers of communication have been lost in a sleep-deprived fog? Well, in my sense of humor, I've got good news from you for you. You didn't lose your mind when you became a mom I would submit that God would say you actually became a genius. And so, yes, I want us to turn to Proverbs chapter 31. And while most of you, if you've been looking, probably thought, well, Pastor Steve is going to preach about the virtuous woman in verses 10 down through the end of the chapter. And if you did, you would be wrong. Because that's not where I'm going. I want to look at verses 1 through 9 of Proverbs chapter 31. Most people think of Proverbs 31, and a lot of ladies actually don't like verses 10 to the end that's often called this virtuous woman because she sounds too perfect. And it can actually be discouraging. But I want you to understand that the words written in 10 through the end are not of a woman describing herself, but of a son describing his mom. I want you to realize that the words of a woman are actually found in verses 1 to 9. So the idea, can you be a biblical mom in an unbiblical world? Well, look at the verses. It says, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. So now he's going to tell you, this is what mom said to me. He says, what are you doing, my son? He says, this is what mom would say to me. What are you doing, son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty. Remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth and judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And as some think that this King Lemuel is actually King Solomon, this seems to be that the king is saying, I remember how mom would tell me how to live, 
how to be a man, how to, how to operate in a world that was a world gone crazy, even from his perspective. And when he dwelt on the wisdom of his mother, then he explodes in verse 10 to the end of the chapter. This is a loving son expressing his view of his mom. So ladies, take heart. These are not verses that somehow make you feel that you've got to be a Stepford wife or a Betty Crocker woman. But rather, how often would your children describe you when they know how much you love them and they ponder the words of wisdom and sacrifices you have made? And so I want every mom in this room to hear these verses and have a sense of motherly pride. Isn't it nice when you hear your kids say things that you've said to them all those years and you wondered if they ever got it and then they get it? Have you not experienced that? I experience that all the time from my mom and my dad. But sometimes I'll be in the car with mom. Do you, have you had this experience? I have been driving, driving around lately, being back in Newfoundland, driving around and I said something to Debbie and all of a sudden Deb got more quiet than she's usually quiet and all of a sudden I realized and I look over and I go, oh my goodness, I'm my mom. And then I have to call her and say, mom, you're rubbed off on me. I'm starting to talk like you and sound like you. And so I think that this is something that you can do. I want you to know that the fact here, I want you to think of biblical mothers. I want you to think of this woman named Jochebed. Jochebed is the mother of Moses. And you can read all about her in Exodus. But you will realize that she lived by faith. And her faithfulness was what overwhelmed people. And I want to ask every one of moms here today, are you a biblical mother and how are you influencing your children in this world? Are you a biblical mom? And how are you influencing your children? If you're a mother of a growing child growing up in today's world, you may sometimes wonder how much of an impact you can even have or are having on your child's life. This is 2017. At times, the influences of teachers and peers of television and magazines, the advent of the internet and all these things, video games, jumpings, Surrey and Google can seem to have more of an influence on your kids than you do. And then there's the government, which seems to outweigh your own opinions. But again, if you think about this woman, Jochebed, the mother of Moses, she also lived in extremely difficult times, a time of slavery, a time when Egypt was pagan and they ruled the world. Yet she used what opportunity she did to have and that she had to affect the growth and development of her son. Ladies, she exercised bold faith by refusing to put Moses to death. And you can read all about it in Exodus 1 and 2. The Pharaoh was jealous about how fast Israel was multiplying, and so he issued a decree that the firstborn sons of all of those in Israel had to be killed. And here was a woman that would not do it, and God honored her faith not only by preserving her son's life, but also arranging circumstances that allowed Jochebed to serve as Moses' nurse and mother. You read it in Exodus, the history of Moses' life takes, makes it apparent that Jacob had helped to shape her son's character, even though in this point she actually acted as a foster mom. The fact that as an adult, Moses unashamedly identified with the Hebrews and the God of Israel, despite his connections to the royal family, is really a testimony to Jacob's influence during those formative years. In fact, if you go to the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 26, listen to how the writer of Hebrews describes Moses' faith. He writes, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, 
refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. This was because of the influence of a mom. And for every mom in this room who hears these verses and has a sense of motherly pride, I want you to think of the fact that Jacob had never heard or saw these words. She never read Hebrews chapter 11. If you read the story of her life, she had to live by faith and trust in God's faithfulness. And so I want to give you just a few principles this morning. Number one, moms, if you want to be a biblical mom in an unbiblical world, men, if you want to be a biblical man, women, a biblical woman, young people, if we want to be a biblical church, number one, live and pass on your faith to your children. Live and pass on your faith to your children. Lord Shaftesbury once said this, Give me a generation of Christian mothers, and I will undertake to change the whole face of society in 12 months. How confident is that? There's a guy that says, Give me a generation of Christian mothers, and I can change society in a year. Is it any wonder that it seems our society... Excuse this crude expression, seems hell-bent on destroying the family unit. Paul talked about the faith of Timothy's mother and grandmother in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, when he said, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. You see, if you want to know a bit of background, Timothy's mother, Eunice, was Jewish. But apparently, she married a Gentile or a Jewish man that was not very orthodox, and he violated one of the clear commands of the law in arranging a match for his daughter with a Gentile. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 16. When Timothy was born, he wasn't circumcised like most Jewish boys were, and it seems that neither Eunice's father nor her husband were observant of Judaism. But Tim's mom and his grandmother were. And Paul praised her for her. And I love that term, her genuine faith, which she shared in common with Lois, her mother. You see, Timothy's mother, Eunice, imparted that faith to her son. Timothy, and more than anyone else, had equipped him for a lifetime of usefulness of God because of his mom and his grandmother. And so for you ladies here this morning, especially you moms, Eunice is an encouragement for every woman faced with the daunting task of nurturing the spiritual life of the children that you have biologically or children you have influence over, especially if you can't count on the help of a strong male influence in your home. You see, Eunice may not have had any formal religious education. She likely didn't. And she had little encouragement from her family except for her own mother, but she had two crucial things going for her, the inherent power of being a mom and the dynamic power of a loving God. Oh, I wish I could impress upon women the power of a praying mom. I don't know how many of you have a bottle of Heinz ketchup in your fridge at home, but I find that this guy, Henry J. Heinz, was quite the guy. And when he died, here was what was found in his will. Looking forward to the, to the time when my earthly career will end, I desire to set forth at the beginning of this will as the most important item in it, a confession of my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. 
I also desire to bear witness to the fact that throughout my life in which there were unusual joys and sorrows, I have been wonderfully sustained by my faith in God through Jesus Christ. This legacy was left me by my consecrated mother, a woman of strong faith, and to it I attribute any success I have attained. That's the power of a godly biblical mom. Moms, you got to see something here, okay? I want you to be both challenged and encouraged. How often in Scripture and in life do we see the fruit of our labor bloom when you might not even be around? So I don't want you to lose hope. I don't want you to, whether your kids are grown up or whether they're young, whether they seemingly are obedient or running from you and God, will you be faithful today? Will you stay the course of faith no matter what? When your kids are having temper tantrums at whatever age they are, because they can have them, they just do them in different ways. Moms, don't get discouraged. Will you be found faithful to Jesus? Pass your faith. I know one of the things that we try, Debbie and I, to tell our children is no matter what happens to us, good, bad, ugly, and different, no matter how you see us rise and fall, I pray that the one thing they will see is we will never forsake our Savior. Because he will never forsake us. Number two, moms, teach your children, and here's a dirty word in the 21st century, discipline them. Teach your children and discipline them. Teaching your children means pointing them to Christ. But then teach them how to live like Christ. Don't just fill their head with a bunch of knowledge about Christ. Show them what it means to live like Him. And it also means that you discipline them in love and with purpose. You see, a biblical mother does not simply want her children to obey her. She wants her children to obey God. Don't always want them just to obey you. Be more concerned that they obey God. And that means you've got to teach them and you've got to discipline them. And sometimes it's formative discipline. And sometimes it's corrective discipline. And understand, no child growing up is going to come up to you and go, Mom, thank you for disciplining me. That's awesome. I love it when you put me on a timeout. I love it when you take my iPad from me or my cell phone. I can feel myself maturing, and I know you love me for it. If you got kids like that, they're weird. That's why Hebrews 12 says what it does. Hebrews says, no one enjoys discipline when it happens. All the things my mom and dad did to me, all the things I thought they were depriving me of, all the times my mother told me to go to bed, or you can't have ice cream for breakfast, or watching TV will rot your eyes, or eat your carrots, because then you won't need glasses. All the things that they tell you. None of it did I like, but the older I get, the more I appreciate my mom and my dad. And God comes along this. Listen to the words of Solomon about his mom. In Proverbs 180 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Next in chapter 6, verse 20 of Proverbs, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. In fact, it's a very fascinating thing how often Solomon will tell his child not to forsake his mother's teaching. Mom is at home a lot, has a great deal of influence. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Mom, how you obey God in teaching your children is very important. Don't forget Deuteronomy 6 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What are the things you need to teach them? This won't be on the screen, but moms, write this down. Teach your children the gospel. Teach your children the gospel. Teach them that God is real, that we are sinners, that Jesus came and lived for us and died for us and rose again for us. Help them see that. Teach them to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Teach them the one another commands of Scripture to pray for one another and love one another and care for one another and hold each other accountable and teach them the consequences of not doing it. How often will Proverbs talk where Solomon will talk about his mom and mom and dad told him, if you do this, son, this is what happens. If you don't do this, son, this is what happens. We often make God way too much like a big teddy bear and not the almighty, all-powerful God with our kids. And hence why we sang the songs we did today, and why I was so glad that we could put the Scripture with each song. And by the way, that was Debbie's doing, not mine. Debbie showed up at practice, and every one of these songs, she'd inserted Scriptures with them. That wasn't me. See, that was the, that's the teaching heart of a mother. This is what it is. We need to tell each other, and especially our children, the truth of what God has said about Himself, and we need to do this from the very beginning of their lives. And that's why Solomon said in Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And moms, most of you might never be around to see it unfold. That's why that passage in Hebrews makes more sense, doesn't it? What he means is that we need to saturate our children with God, and God will bless that obedience with himself. So mom, especially those of you that are moms of young children, when you're knee-deep in dirty diapers and spilled oatmeal, and trying to tell goofy bedtime stories. And I'm sure it's easy to be so overwhelmed by motherhood that there doesn't seem time left to think about what you want for your children or from your children when they are grown. But from the time the nurse hands you that messy bundle of joy in the hospital, one thing is for certain. There will be a time when your children will leave. Our helpless fragile children grow up to become students and husbands and wives and doctors and mechanics and police officers and military personnel and everything you can think of and the day will come when parents grow to depend on those who once depended on us that's the cycle of life but here's the thing what you taught them will then come out more than ever and who you taught them will come out more than ever an interesting tidbit for those of you in church. I don't know if you know this, but the first time the word mother is ever mentioned in the Bible is referred to when a child leaves home. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. The first time you ever introduce to the word father or mother, it's in terms of a child leaving. Growing up, maturing, going on and creating a new, new unit of family. Our children are never really ours. Oh, I wish I could impart that to every parent. I get a whole new perspective on life. Ultimately, they belong to God. This is why I wish there was an attitude of humility in the church of those that have children and those who don't to understand. What can you brag about? 
It is simply a gift from God. He places them under our care for a brief period of time so that we can care for their needs and shape their character according to His will. To put it another way, all our children will leave home one day. Our job is to see that they're grown up before they do. No matter what age that is. But mothers, can I give you one more thing to teach your kids? This is the burden of my heart. Oh my goodness, would I get moms to teach their kids how to praise God. How to praise God. Psalm 145 says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Listen to this. One generation shall command your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Mom, listen, don't be an Eeyore. Don't live an Eeyore life in front of your kids. Show them how much you love God and you praise Him. No matter what the circumstances, these verses emphasize the importance of passing praise to your kids. Don't be afraid to dance with them in the kitchen. Don't be afraid to tell them that everything they get, Jesus says, I was talking to one of my pastor friends on Friday. We did six years of ministry together in PEI, and now he pastors a church aptly called Calvary Baptist. And uh, my oldest son taught his oldest son how to play the drums a little bit when he was quite young before they moved. And Brandon, every Sunday, would bring him up and show him little moves on the drums. And so now his oldest son is becoming quite the drummer. And he wrote to this drum maker and told him how much he liked the drums. Well, the drum maker sent him this massive box of drum stuff and manuals and signed sticks and decals and told him he'd give him a discount at a local music store to get his own personal set of drums and all this thing. And, every, and, and, and the little fellow was just overwhelmed. And, and Richard said, we sat him down. And we told him, look what God did for you. Because we want to teach him to praise God for everything. Praise is to be taught to our kids. We're not merely supposed that children will grow up and desire God one day. We must be careful that whatever we possess of God's blessing and revelation, because you realize it can be lost in a generation. Go back and read Judges. In Judges chapter 2, you'll read these words. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, that means the gods, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And you will see that sequence. They, they do what is right in their own eyes. They abandon the, the, the Lord, and then they fall into sin, and then God judges them, and then they confess, and God delivers them, and then they're praising God, and then that generation forgets to tell the second generation. And by the time you get to the third generation, you've got a whole people that don't even know who God is folks look around newfoundland when i talk to people here in this province that are say 65 and or above they understand at least religion they know about sunday school they can even tell you by your last name what denomination you were raised in or born in and all these things when you talk to my generation you know that that your parents could do it but talk to my son's generation and they don't even know who god is jesus is nothing more than a curse word it doesn't take very long. Our province was very religious, and now it's almost gone. I saw an article last week uh, in CTV that said that denominations, religious denominations across Atlantic Canada are, are scrambling because they don't know what to do with the massive decline in attendance of their churches. And there's all these buildings across Atlantic Canada, and basically they're being sold and people are turning them into homes or businesses. 
what were once churches. It doesn't take long. Teach your kids to praise God. We must consistently praise Him and teach by example as well as words. Thirdly, love our children and pray for them. Love our children and pray for them. The Bible's filled with commands to love and pray for each other. But moms, do you love and pray for your children the way that Jesus taught you to pray? Do you simply pray, Lord, here's my laundry list of how I want my child to turn out? Or do you join Jesus in Matthew 6 and say that, that, that is God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven? How do you love your children and how do you, how do you pray for them? The most lasting gift a mother can give her children is to live according to God's order. To first love the Lord with all her heart and then love her children. These are the things that you and I need to do. More than a job or responsibility. Listen to me. Mothering is ministry. Mothering is ministry. Now, it takes work. It means sacrifice. Every one of you know this. Children don't come off an assembly line. They are to be lovingly nurtured by not only their mothers, but on family unit. And mothers divide their time among their children. But it seems they're gifted to multiply their love for all their children. You remember the video we started with before I preached? When Isaiah searched for an illustration of God's constant love for his people, the best example he could find was a new baby's mother as she fed him from her breast. Mothers have enduring love that even the most trying circumstances or rebellious child cannot dim. You want to find someone who has hope? Talk to a mom. As a mother lets go of her own life for the sake of her child, she is reminded of the depth and height and breadth of God's love for her, and in a unique way, she experiences the true joy of motherhood. Do you want, ladies, if you're moms, do you really want to get an understanding of how God loves you? Think of the way you love your children. And God loves you better than that. I hope that helps you, moms, next week when I preach John 3.16. You see, one of the acts of love is prayer. Prayer of faith and prayer of submission. Charles Spurgeon commented this. He said, I cannot tell how much I owe to the prayers of my good mother. I remember her once praying, Now, Lord, if my children go in on in sin, it will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold on Christ and claim Him as their personal Savior. Now, any child that hears a mom pray that will get a bit of the heebie-jeebies. Think about that kind of bravery. Lauren Sani of The Navigator said this, My mother gave birth to me in a frontier house on a Midwestern prairie. On the kitchen counter, she placed a list of the ingredients necessary for my formula. At the top of the list was prayer. And that remained at the top of her list for me throughout her life. I have her to thank for firmly establishing my spiritual roots. Believe it or not, there's a secular author just recently, Charles Murray. He wrote this book said about why women have not climbed the corporate ladder like men, even though the culture tried with all of its might to get them to. And I find his words utterly amazing because this is not a guy who says he believes in the Bible or believes in the gospel. Here's his words. Exceptions exist, but as a rule, the experience of pregnancy and birth appears to be a more profoundly life-altering experience for women than becoming a father is for men. 
So closely is giving birth linked to the fundamental human goal of, of giving meaning to one's life that it's been argued that ultimately it is not so much that motherhood keeps women from doing great things outside the home as it is men's inability to give birth that forces them to look for substitutes. This is from a guy that says he doesn't even believe in Jesus. So for ladies and gentlemen, young and old, we are all called to show this type of faith, instruction, love, and prayer to each other. And we do this, and it's both messy and time-consuming. It's not a formula. You don't do this and don't do that, and then bang, pops out a perfect child or a perfect disciple or a perfect husband or a perfect wife or a perfect church. So what are we ultimately to do then as individuals and as moms? Finally, trust God with your children. That was Jochebed when she was faced with that very thing, to trust God with her children. She bore a son who was being put to death. She then put him in a basket and sent him floating down a river. Next, after only a few years to pass on her faith and teach and discipline and love and pray for him, she watched him as he left for the house of Egypt. And then he left for the wilderness, and she never heard of him for 40 years. Then there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. This mother as well as many other women in the Bible modeled to us the great privilege and the high calling and the unique gift that God gives and both God calls women to. Now, some of us, men and some others, have not had the privilege of being a biological mother. Yet even if you have no children of your own, there's so much to be gleaned from a closer look at the mothers of the Bible. Among the many principles found, there are these three. First, to understand the comfort of a mother's love is to know more fully the tender heart of God. I look to my wife and I look to my mom. Obviously, I don't know what it is to be a mom. But I know I can look to God. Again, remember that video? It must have been something that Isaiah was full of because in Isaiah 66, 13, he says, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Secondly, to give that love away to another, particularly children, you may, you may know or be related to is much needed and welcomed. So it doesn't matter if you're a biological mom here or an adopted mom or a foster mom or you're a lady that gives of yourself to other children or you're men here or you're single or whatever it is. To give away love to someone, particularly children, is both needed and welcomed. We got to do this together. Oh, may not the world always coin the phrases. It takes a community to raise a child. It takes a church to point a child to Jesus. And everyone needs to be involved. I have two adult sons, and they both have their unique blessings and struggles. And I got a call from a young man in ministry. He's newly married. He has two children and one on the way, and he's a pastor. And he called me this past week, and he asked me for some advice and some help as he's struggling and trying to balance all these things. But for some reason, both my sons really enjoy this guy. They look up to him. They listen to him. They, they, they play video games with him. They call him. My, one of my sons is going to vacation in Halifax and spend a week with him. And so we prayed together, and he was sharing his heart. And as he ended, he said, Dad, because I'm like his dad in the faith. He doesn't have a dad. And he said, I just want to thank you. And you know what my response was? Listen, bro, you know what? Just as I'm helping you, help my boys. They seem to listen to you. Right now, they see me as their adversary. Everything I say, they think is dumb, Right? If, and in fact, if one of them thinks skinny jeans is cool and then I buy his pair of skinny jeans, then skinny jeans is not cool anymore. 
All right, that's just the phase of life we're in. So I, I asked him, I said, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. And therefore, and that takes us more. Thirdly, to share what you have learned with a young, desperate mother could be a help beyond measure. This is why this is a church effort. Look around you. There are mothers here of infants, mothers here of preteens, mothers of teenagers, mother of college kids, mothers who've experienced loss in a way that few of us will ever know. And we need each other. We don't need to walk up like we have got it all put together. We need to go up and say, how can I pray for you? How can I support you? How can I help you? Make yourself available. The mother of Christian Schwartz said this as he was born. Before her death, she got her husband and she said, when my baby becomes a man and God calls him to be a missionary, promise me you'll not stand in his way. Because in those days, missionary enterprise was not favorably looked upon. And years passed, and one day a brilliant young man came from the university and said, Dad, God has called me to, a mis- to the, be a missionary. And the dad said, tears filled my eyes as I recalled the promise I gave to my dying wife. And I was able to say, answer the call, my son, and may God's blessings and the desire of your mother be continually upon you. So for moms here this morning, and for all of you, The greatest gift you will ever give your child is Christ. But to do that, you've got to know him yourself. Jesus died for you. Jesus lived for you. He bore your sins and mine. The sins that condemn you and I, he took and wore our condemnation. And because of that amazing, unheard act of love, Romans 5 out now means something, right? But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Acts 16 says, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Romans 10 says, if you believe in your heart that the Lord, Je- that the Lord Jesus is, is, is God and confess with your mouth that God cr- raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The greatest gift we can give each other and give our kids is for us to be truly saved. So if you don't know him, will you trust him? For all of you here today who are moms and claim to be Christians, I hope that this morning's sermon has encouraged you to stay focused on your God-given task and to realize that you have nothing to boast in except that God has called you. And I pray that it reinforces your commitment to ignore the shouts from the cultural sidelines that would seek to persuade you that your life's meaning is measured only by what you accomplish either in parenting or outside the home because it's not. Your identity is found in Christ and only in Christ. And may you gladly give the best years of your life to this dignified vocation of motherhood, remembering the words of your Savior, the greatest among you shall be your servant, in Matthew 23, 11. But remember this, to be a faithful mother, one must be an obedient disciple. Only God knows his plans for the kids in our lives. Thus, it's essential that you are following his leadings. And for every one of us here in this church, whether we're single or married, whether we have kids or don't, whether our kids are gone and left us, whatever your situation might be, how is your influence, not only on your children, but husbands, how are you influencing your wife? Wives, how are you influencing your husband to point them to Jesus Christ? How are we influencing other people's children? 
It is a unique challenge that I find myself facing now that I have two adult sons and a daughter about to become uh, 15, and, and I don't have those little children running around. I don't have to worry about diapers and stuff. And will I say, well, I've had that phase. Now I just want to hang around with, with older people, and I don't want to be bothered with stinky diapers or runny noses. That's selfish. Will I involve myself in the lives of all the people in our church community? What direction are you pointing them with with your words, your life, your attitude, your behavior? Hey, if you're married, how do you talk to your husband? How do you talk to your wife? If you have kids around you, men and women, how you talk to each other and kids are watching. But ultimately, for everybody here in this room, how do you talk to God? And where is your faith? If you're here this morning as a mother, you've probably had much opportunity, maybe more opportunity than Jochebed to influence her children or Solomon's mom to influence him, her, him. But are you allowing the prevailing culture to have the dominant impact on your child's development? You see, motherhood is not something we're called to either resent or defend, but to simply joyfully accept. Luke chapter 1, verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You see, Mary couldn't take credit for anything. In fact, if you read Mary, she's a great example to all of you that are mothers or long to be, whether you're single or married, with or without kids. Mary saw her life as simply, I am the servant of the Lord. Whatever God wills for me, then I find my value and identity in Him. Just help me fulfill whatever calling you call me to. As the provision of God for our redemption, according to Genesis 3.15 and 1 Timothy, and our children's blessings... The calling of God is irrecoverable. It does not change regardless of the culture or modern trends. And may I say, the role of mothers is a high calling of honor and privilege and should never be regarded as anything less. God is worthy. God is all honor. He is worthy of all praise. He is worthy of all worship, all obedience, all trust, all love, all thanks. And while your family honors you today, moms, and we have seeked to honor womanhood and motherhood. I say more importantly is that we be a church and a people who honor and glorify God with our lives, whatever that calling looks like. So can I invite us all to respond in prayer of thanksgiving and worship for motherhood and for womanhood. And that for you and for us and that this church that we would be a people who love God and seek to share Him and pass that on to others. Truly, all glory be to Christ. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank You for this opportunity to just spend a few moments, one Sunday out of a year. The world itself says we should honor mothers. Lord, help us to see as a people, as a church, as Christians, when we show honor to one another, true honor as Christians is not to demean others. Lord, you have called us to each represent you in a certain way. Everybody in this church is different from our own parents or our upbringing, our testimony. Lord, whether we've had children or lost children, Father, whether our children are following you or running from you, Father, whether we are afraid or ashamed, we feel like failures, whether we're alone. Lord, I pray that we would understand that you love us unconditionally. You have engraved us on the palms of your hand.
And so, Lord, I pray for every mother in this room that they will seek you and give themselves over to you as they seek to influence their children by showing them the greatest picture of you they can. I pray for every woman in this room. Oh God, search my heart and know me. See the crevices of my heart, how I long for women of the church to be delighted in and honored and shown dignity that surpasses feminism or the world's conflicting messages. Oh, that the women of our church would know how much you delight in them. I pray for the men and young men of this church that we would seek to follow you and know that we do not have to act like a UFC fighter to be manly. That a man is defined by his desire to follow you. Lord, I pray for the married couples of our church, the singles of our church. I pray from the youngest to the oldest that, Father, we would truly be biblical people in an unbiblical world. And, Father, I don't say that because we're better. I say it because you're better. We are simply sinners saved by a great Savior. May we now want to tell others about you. So, Almighty God, on this day when we seek to honor our moms, to obey Romans, to say outdo one another in showing honor, and to owe no one anything but a debt of love, I pray for every mom here. I pray for my own mom. Lord, I pray that my actions of striving for you helps her feel settled in you. Oh, Lord, speak. In Jesus' name and all God's people said.